So this afternoon, we're starting a brand new sermon series on Paul's letter to the church in Rome, the letter to the Romans. Now, at the time that Paul wrote this letter, he had not yet visited the church in Rome. But somebody had visited Rome and had preached the good news of Jesus there. And as a result of their preaching, many had turned to Jesus Christ, put their trust in him. And as a result, they were forgiven. They experienced forgiveness of their sins. They had God's love filling their hearts. They were transformed and they formed a church, which was following what Jesus Christ called churches to be and do. And Paul had heard about this church. He'd heard about their great faith. And so he wanted to visit them. And the reason he wanted to visit them can be seen if we take a look at this map. Look at that instantly. Uh, Thank you. At the bottom right is Jerusalem. You can see that there. North of Jerusalem is Antioch. And Antioch is the church that sent Paul out on his missionary journeys to go preach the gospel and plant churches where there was no gospel witness and no churches before. And so Paul did that heading north and then left, which is west, through Galatia and through Asia, which is today called Turkey. And he planted churches throughout that region. And then he crossed the Aegean Sea and went over into what today is Greece, back then called Macedonia, planted churches in Corinth and in Thessalonica and in Philippi, places like that. But even though Paul had had an amazing ministry of preaching the gospel north and then west, planting churches, seeing amazing moves of God, he was not content. Because Paul had a burden for the places where there were no churches. Paul had a burden for the people who'd never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And so what Paul wanted to do was travel west to Rome. And then from Rome, to be there, to fellowship with them, to be encouraged by them and to be helped financially by them to go to Spain, which is another thousand kilometers to the west. So that's what's going on in the background. Look at how Paul puts this in Romans 15, verses 23 through 24. He says, But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, doesn't mean everybody was saved in those regions, but the churches had been planted throughout those regions so they could reach more people. But since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, And since I've longed for many years to come to you, believers in Rome, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I've enjoyed your company for a while. So Paul wanted to travel to Rome, strengthen the believers that were there in Rome, and have them help him make the trip to Spain so he could preach the gospel where the gospel had never been preached before, and plant churches there in Spain. So that was Paul's plan, travel to Rome. And the first step Paul took was to write them a letter, a letter with 16 chapters. This is a letter. So why did he do that? Here's some background. Remember, during this time in church history, 50s and 60s AD, the Bible used by the church was scrolls, handwritten copies of the Old Testament scrolls, and also hand-copied 
copies of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John circulating around, and also letters from the apostles. So that was what churches had. There were no printing presses back at that time. Each Bible, each letter, each book of the Old Testament, hand-copied. And each church had copies of these, and some very wealthy individuals did as well. So this 16-chapter letter that Paul wrote would be delivered to the church there in Rome, and they would, when they meet together, Sunday mornings is when they met, they would go through this letter section by section, explaining it, applying it, teaching it, being diligent to study it and to learn it. Now, as I studied the first seven verses of chapter one of this letter to the Roman believers, what struck me is that every part of this all works together to persuade the church at Rome that this letter from Paul is worth giving time to reading and studying and learning. So Paul here is giving them reasons why. Study this letter. Learn this letter. And this will also give us, church, reasons why we should study this letter and learn this letter. So here's a picture of what we're going to see this afternoon. Chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, four reasons to read this letter. And these reasons cover, first of all, who is Paul? That's a huge reason we're going to see. What is Paul's gospel that's in this letter? That's a huge reason. What is Paul's mission? That's another reason we will see. And then what will they, what will you, what will we receive from this letter? Another powerful reason. So let's start with that first question. Who is Paul? Look again at what he said in verse 1. Who is Paul? Verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, calls to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. So Paul starts off saying, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. Now that, that would have been a shocking way to introduce yourself to these people because they would have heard about Paul's ministry. They would have expected Paul to say, you know, I've, I've preached the gospel in dozens of cities. I've seen hundreds, maybe thousands of people saved. I've planted dozens of churches. That's how maybe he would have introduced himself, but that's not what was central to Paul. What Paul was all about was Jesus Christ. He is a servant of Jesus Christ. It doesn't get any more important than that. For him, for any of us. Who was Paul? Paul, who are you? I'm a servant of Jesus, my Savior, my Lord, my Master. He has saved me. He has loved me. He's died for me. He rose from the dead. He's my life. He's my hope. He's my purpose. He's my meaning. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. That's the man who wrote this letter. Passionate Christ-centeredness in his heart. That's what Paul was all about. Then Paul adds that he'd been called to be an apostle. An apostle was someone who Jesus had personally called to be an apostle. And an apostle was somebody who had personally seen with their own eyes the resurrected Jesus, physically resurrected from the dead, so they could be witnesses of Jesus' resurrection. And every apostle was specially gifted by the Holy Spirit to be able to speak and write 
truth directly from God. Perfectly true, 100% pure truth from God himself. Speaking, writing the very words of God. Which is so important for this letter that we're looking at here. Now, Jesus called, remember the 12 disciples? He called them to be apostles. But then he also personally appeared to Paul as Paul is on the road to Damascus and revealed himself as the resurrected Jesus to Paul and called Paul at that point to be an apostle. And Paul was the last of the apostles. There are no more apostles anymore. Paul was the last one. But the fact that Paul was an apostle means that these 16 chapters, this book of Romans, letter to the Romans, this is not just Paul's words. These are God's words. This is perfectly true truth from God for us. That's why it's included in the New Testament. That's why even though it was written back in 58 AD, it is still true for us today. Just let that sink in for a moment. If I told you that I had found a book, I've discovered a book, and it's written by God. God's very words are in this book. The one who created us, the one who made you, the one who's in control of everything. God wrote this book. Would you want to see it? Would you be interested in looking at it? Yes, absolutely. And that's what we have in the book of Romans and in the entire Bible. Every word in the Bible is God's very words. What a gift we have. So that's the first reason that Paul gives. I'm sorry, one more about who Paul is. Then I'll summarize that. Paul was set apart for the gospel of God. Set apart. Now, what does that mean? To be set apart means that before creation, there's mystery here, but God predestined Paul not only to be saved, but God also predestined Paul to be devoted to the gospel. The word gospel is a simple word. simply meant good news. Good news. The good news of God the good news that's from God. And so Paul was set apart for that good news. And that good news is in this letter of Romans. So who was Paul we're looking at? Servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart by God for the gospel, which he wrote in this letter. And that's one reason why the church at Rome should pay careful attention, should carefully read and study this letter. And that's one reason why we, Grace Church in Abu Dhabi should carefully read and study the whole Bible, but we're talking especially about the book of Romans. That's the first reason Paul gives. Second reason, what is Paul's gospel? What gospel did he preach? And Paul starts by saying that his gospel had been promised beforehand by God. Look at verse 2. Which, speaking of the gospel, which gospel he, God, promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, the Old Testament. So see, Paul is not saying that after thousands of years of world history, he's the first one to finally discover who God is and what God's up to. Not at all. The gospel that Paul preached didn't come up with Paul. It wasn't discovered by Paul. He didn't come up with it. It had been promised by God for thousands of years. Thousands of years. All the way back to the third chapter of the very first book in the Bible. 
where God gives gospel promises to Adam and Eve. All the way back there, this gospel was promised. From Genesis to Malachi, again and again and again, promise after promise after promise. The good news that the Messiah is coming, the Savior is coming. He's going to be fully God, and he'll be born as a baby. Amazing. He's going to be without any sin, the only sinless human being who's ever lived. But he's going to be punished for the sins, paying for all the sins of everyone who will trust him. He's going to rise from the dead. He will pour God's presence on everyone who puts their trust in him. And he will guide us and love us and care for us and comfort us and and carry us all the way to heaven. Promise, 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 promise. So the gospel, Paul writes in his letter, has been promised by God from the very beginning of history. Amazing. Also, Paul tells us what his gospel was about. It's about God's son, Jesus, the Messiah. Focuses on Jesus. Look at verse 3. Start reading in verse 2 to get the flow of thought. Which gospel God promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son. If you want to summarize the gospel, it's Jesus Christ, God's son. That's the gospel that had been promised for thousands of years. God's son. It's all about him. The gospel is all about a person, a real person who you can know. The second person of the Trinity, God's son, Jesus, focus of the gospel. Now, the fact that he's God's son means he is fully God. Jesus Christ, God's son, is fully God. Remember, there's one God, one God in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus the Messiah, the promised Messiah, and God the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. Each person is fully God. There's mystery here, but that's clear from what the Bible teaches. Each person is fully God, and together they are one God. And the focus of Paul's gospel is God's Son. Because God's saving work, the Father's saving work, which is going to be applied to us by the Spirit, is accomplished through the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. Paul's gospel focuses on God's Son. Not only that, Paul's gospel explained that God's Son was born in the line of David. Born of David. We see that in verse 3. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. As I was thinking about this verse, it just struck me. Church, it is so important that you understand who your Jesus is. That you understand who your Savior is. Because our our life, it's like the verse that Brother Emmanuel read, Christ is our life. He's our hope. He's our friend. He's our God. He's our master. He's our Lord. We love him. He's our savior. And it is so important that you understand who your Jesus is. And this verse teaches us something very important about him. He was not created by God. 
His son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, which shows that Jesus has existed from eternity past before he descended from David, eternity past before there was anything with no beginning. Jesus has always existed along with God the Father and God the Spirit. There's Jesus, God the Son. But 2,000 years ago, in order to pay for the sins of all those who would trust him, Jesus, in amazing mercy and compassion and love, took on a human body, took on a human nature, was miraculously conceived in Mary's womb, taking on humanity in himself, which means he is both fully God and now fully man. Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. This was God the Father's plan, beautiful plan. And the Old Testament promised that the Messiah would be born in the line of David because Jesus was going to be king of the Jews, of Israel, and of all the world. This is your Jesus. This is the Jesus that you love, that you know. He is the king. He was born in the line of David, fulfilling that Old Testament prophecy and promise. That's what happened. Just like Paul said, God's son, Jesus, was born in the line of David. Not only that, Paul's gospel celebrates Jesus' resurrection. You can see that in verse 4. And Jesus, the Son of God, was declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So to help us see, I mean, here's this man walking around looking like you, looking like me, to help us see that this is God in the flesh, the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead after the resurrection, displaying him as fully God. God the Father confirming, this is my son, fully God. Fully God, fully man, Jesus Christ. So Jesus' resurrection declared him to be the son of God. So here's Paul's gospel. It's been promised from the beginning all through the Old Testament, by God himself promising this gospel. It was about God's son, fully God, who was born in the line of David, showing that he also became fully man and fulfilled that prophecy. And Paul's gospel celebrated Jesus' resurrection, which confirms all of this. This is Paul's gospel. And we learn all of this in Paul's letter to the Romans. This is where Paul's going in his letter. That's a powerful reason why the church at Rome should read this letter. And it's a powerful reason why the church in Abu Dhabi, Grace Church, should read this letter. That's Paul's second reason. Third reason. It's because of Paul's mission. So what was Paul's mission? What had God called Paul to do? Look at verses five and six through whom, through Jesus, we, speaking of the apostles, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name, Jesus' name, among all the nations, including you, church at Rome, who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Now, notice something very important here. Paul's mission was to 
all the nations. And that word nations is the Greek word ethne. It refers to every ethnicity and every language group and every distinct cultural group. That's the focus of Paul's ministry. People from every nation, every language, every ethnicity, every tribe, every people group in the world. God loves every ethnicity, every language, every culture. God's plan is to bring the word of the gospel to every people group that there is. And Paul's mission was to bring people from all those people groups into what he calls the obedience of faith. Are you in the obedience of faith? That's Paul's mission because that's God's heart to bring people into the obedience of faith. So what is the obedience of faith? It means that, the, that obedience flows from faith. First you've got faith, and then whenever there's genuine faith, obedience flows from it. Now let's take a moment here to explain how that works. I think you'll find this very encouraging. I love this idea of the obedience of faith. Jesus promises again and again and again, that he is our heart-filling joy. That there is a joy available that will completely and permanently fill your heart, but it's only found in knowing God's glory through Jesus. You've tasted this. I mean, if, if you've tasted the joy of Jesus, you know there is no other joy that even comes close to comparing. That's Jesus' promise. So, when you become a follower of Jesus, you put your trust in him to forgive you for all your sins. So important, or you could never know God. And to satisfy your heart in himself. I trust you to forgive me. I trust you to satisfy me. And when we put our trust in Jesus in that way, we are forgiven. He fills us with a joy in himself like we've never known before. We are transformed. That's what happens with faith but it doesn't stop with faith. Genuine faith always produces obedience. Here's how. Whatever we trust to satisfy our hearts the most, we will desire the most automatically. Whatever you trust the most to satisfy you, you will desire the most. And whatever you desire the most, you will always obey the most. Think of somebody who, who trusts money. What I want is money. Money is what's going to satisfy me, what's going to secure me. If they're trusting that, what are they going to desire the most? <clears throat> what are they going to desire the most? Money. Thank you. Absolutely. And what are they going to devote their life to pursuing? Money. Thank you. Okay. Whatever we trust the most to satisfy us, we will always desire the most. And whatever we desire the most, we will always pursue the most. That's how it always works. So because we're trusting Jesus to satisfy us the most, because we've tasted of his presence, his love, his joy, we know there is nothing that compares. We desire him the most. We're not always feeling that, but we know it. We felt it. We believe it. We're desiring him the most, and we're seeking to follow him. We're, we're praying. We're opening up the scriptures to meet him in the scriptures. We're confessing our sins before him. We're walking in love. We're seeking to share the gospel. We're battling sin. The obedience of faith. That's what Paul's talking about here. And Paul's mission is to bring people from all the people groups into the obedience of the faith for the sake of Christ's name. So that in heaven, we see the picture of people from every nation, tongue, and tribe who've been brought into the obedience of faith 
through hearing the gospel, worshiping the lamb that was slain, and God who sent him. That's what we're going to be doing for the sake of the name, the obedience of faith, people from all the nations. And what Paul writes in this letter to the Romans is what people need to hear to come into and to grow in the obedience of faith. Do you want to come into and grow in the obedience of faith? Read the letter to the Romans. Are you ready? Let's finish the sermon first, okay? Then you can read. That's the third reason why the church at Rome should read this letter and why we should. Now, there's one last reason. What will we receive through reading this letter? In verse 7, Paul starts by reminding us of what is true of everyone who trusts Jesus Christ. Look at verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Let's look at each of those. I don't want you to miss this. Because you are trusting Jesus Christ, you are loved by God. God. The God of the universe who created everything, who's in sovereign control of everything, who's massive beyond your possible comprehension. He loves you. You are always on his mind. There's never a moment when he's not thinking about you. you go, How can he do that? Because he's God. That's why he can do that. And he does that. He is thinking about you right now. He knows every tear. He knows every joy. He knows every concern you have, every question, every difficulty. He loves you. He cares about you. He's thinking about you right now. Do you believe that, church? Oh, this will change our lives. We're loved by God, verse 7. And this letter will help us see that more clearly. Paul also reminds us that we're called to be saints. Do you realize you you are called to be a saint? Saint George, Saint Sally. Okay, you're called to be a saint. Now, the Catholic Church teaches that there's just a few saints, but the New Testament says that everyone who puts their trust in Jesus Christ becomes a saint and will continue to be growing as a saint. The word saint simply means holy. And what that means is that we see God's glory shining in the face of Jesus. And we want him more and we love him more and we seek him more. And holiness is growing and seeing and believing and trusting and worshiping and honoring God as he's revealed in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be called to be a saint. And this letter is going to help us grow in being the saints God has called us to be. Loved by God and called to be saints by God. But there's one more thing he says here at the end of verse 7. Notice this phrase. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Let's start with grace. What is grace? Years ago, I heard an acronym, G-R-A-C-E, which I found helpful. And see if this seems accurate to you. G-R-A-C-E, God's riches 
at Christ's expense. So grace starts with God's riches, the blessing of forgiveness of sins, the joy of his presence filling your hearts, the encouragement of his promises carrying through, carrying you through difficult times, the comfort of his strength when you're feeling like you just have nothing left to give, the, the certainty of eternal life forever, the riches, God's riches. And God's riches come to us at Christ's expense. None of us could have any of God's riches if it was left to our spirituality or how good we've become. It's impossible. We've sinned, brothers, sisters. But God gives us at great cost to himself. He delivered his own son up to the cross. He gives us his riches at Christ's expense. Christ died to pay for the sins of all who trust him. So we're forgiven and God's riches are poured out upon us, lavished upon us. God's riches at Christ's expense. That's grace. But Paul doesn't just mention grace. He mentions peace. God's grace always brings God's peace into our hearts. That's how it, it works. When we experience God's grace, the riches of God's grace that are ours at Christ's expense, we are filled with peace. Our worries are conquered. That's what happens. Our insecurities disappear. Our empty hearts are filled. Our frustration dissolves. Our hopelessness is replaced with hope. Grace brings peace. That's how it works here. And so Paul wants, here he says, end of verse 7, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ to give the readers of this letter grace and peace. But now why does Paul say that at the beginning of this letter? In fact, Paul says that same thing at the beginning of every one of his letters. Why did he do that? Years ago, I heard an explanation from John Piper, which I found compelling. I found it persuasive. I'll share it with you. See what you think. John Piper said, yes, at the beginning of every letter, every one of Paul's letters, Paul says he wants grace and peace to be given to his readers. But not only does Paul say that at the beginning of every one of his letters, Dr. Piper also noted that at the end of every one of his letters, Paul says he wants the grace of our Lord Jesus, which would include peace, to be with his readers. And I checked every letter, beginning, end, yes, beginning, even Philemon, yes, beginning and end, every one of Paul's letters. He says what he does. Why? Well, first of all, let's look at, I want you to see how this is true in Romans, the beginning and the end. Look, beginning of the letter to Romans, chapter 1, verse 7, we just read it. Let's read it again. Notice he says, grace to you and peace. So grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. At the beginning of the letter, may grace and peace come to you. And then the end of the letter, Romans 16, 20, the grace, which I think would include peace, of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Notice, to you at the beginning, with you at the end. Why? Here's what Dr. Piper said. He says that what Paul is saying is that his longing is that through reading this letter of Romans, 
God will give his grace and peace to the believers. As, as we're reading through the book of Romans, grace is coming to us with peace. Grace is coming to us with peace. We keep reading, more grace is coming to us through peace. That's what's happening to us as we read through. That's why he begins and says, my, my longing is that God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, would give grace and peace to you. And then when Paul comes to the end of his letter, he says, now, that grace and that peace that you've experienced, may that continue with you. You've just opened up the scriptures received grace and peace, grace and peace, grace and peace. Now, as you head out in your life, may that grace and peace go with you. Is that powerful? You think about that. I think that's what Paul is saying here. Oh, Holy Spirit, as I write this letter, which is going to be your very words to the church at Rome, may these words give them grace and peace. May grace and peace come to them. And when I finish, may that grace and peace go with them. That's Paul's heart. And what that means is that as the church in Rome reads and studies this letter, God will be giving them his grace and peace and that grace and peace will go with them. And Grace Church Abu Dhabi, as we read this letter to the Romans, God's grace and peace will be given to us. And when we finish, it will go with us as well. That's Paul's fourth reason for why we should read, study this letter. So verses one through seven, Romans chapter one, Paul gives us four reasons to read this letter. First, because Paul, the author, servant of Christ, apostle of Jesus Christ, set apart for the gospel so we can trust this letter. Second, because this is going to teach us Paul's gospel, which is so rock solid because it's been promised for thousands of years through the Old Testament. It's about Jesus who is here on earth, fully God, fully man, descended from David, his amazing work on the cross, you'll see it it's going to be unpacked here in this book of Romans, and whose resurrection confirms the truth of all of this. We're going to be seeing the gospel, which is rock-solid, life-changing truth. And then third, because of Paul's mission. This letter is going to help us experience Paul's mission, help us enter into the obedience of faith all the more fully, by which we'll be able to give praise to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then finally, because by reading this letter, will receive grace and peace, which will go with us when we finish this letter. Be persuaded for powerful reasons. Now, what does this mean for us? Let me give you three takeaways briefly. I think God is saying three things to, to us tonight. To some of you, he is saying, turn to Jesus Christ. You've heard the gospel tonight. You've heard this amazing gospel that Paul's going to be unfolding in this book, but you've heard it tonight. Turn to Jesus Christ tonight, right now. Trust him to forgive you. Trust him to change you wherever you need to be changed. Trust him to satisfy and fill you as only he can. Turn to him and trust him and be filled with God's grace and peace. And he will do that as you do. Turn to him and trust him. That's to some of you. Turn and trust Jesus. Others of you, he's saying, turn back to Jesus. Turn back to Jesus. You know you've drifted. It's time to come home. And his arms are open wide to you. You know it's time to come home. You've heard why. Amazing reasons. You lived out there in the desert long enough. Come home. You'll be loved. You'll be welcomed. You'll be back. And then third, to all of us, he's saying, 
read Paul's letter to the Romans. Let's do that. Let's stand. I'll pray. What a gift your scriptures are to us, Father. And Lord, we pray as we're embarking on this journey now through the book of Romans, would you do a powerful work in each of our hearts, Lord? As we open up the scriptures, as we read, as we think, as we discuss in our home groups, as we hear, come together here Saturdays, hopefully Sundays, the Lord do a powerful, powerful work in our hearts be pouring out your grace and peace. And Lord, for, for those here tonight who are not yet trusting Christ, Lord, right now, would you stir their hearts? Would you change their hearts? Would you help them see your love, your reality, your promises, your grace, your peace, that they would come to trust Christ? And Lord, those who have drifted, bring them home tonight, we pray. Let this all be for the glory of our Savior. In Jesus' name.